Hey guys, it's uh, it's Andrew again, the host of Wikipedia, the podcast where I go in and do a deep dive into Wikipedia pages about different horror movies. Um, I'm still being forced to do this, I guess. There's a... Bailey is making me do all of this because I'm in the red star now. Um, I don't blame you guys very much. Um, a little bit, maybe, but not a lot. Um... If you guys could do what you could to get me out, that would be swell. Um, anyways, I guess I'm going to keep doing this, um, unless Egg wants to chime in. Egg, do you have anything to tell the people? Okay, I didn't think so. There's not a lot to do here. Um, the TV only shows um, Bachelor in Paradise. It's just on a big loop. That's the only show that's on. The theme song is stuck in my head. I can't sleep without thinking of it. And and I'm mad that I have strong opinions about the relationship between Taisha and John Paul Jones. I just... I don't know. They're okay for each other. But I just think that maybe don't try and date people after 18 days stuck on an island. That's not a romantic getaway. That's lost. Anywho, I have to talk about Wikipedia pages, so I think that we're going to start off with Bird Box. Bird Box is a Wikipedia page about a 2018 American post-apocalyptic thriller film directed by Suzanne Beer from a screenplay written by Eric Heisserer and based off the 2014 novel of the same name by Josh Malaman. The film follows a woman, played by Sandra Bullock, as she tries to protect herself and two children from malevolent supernatural entities that make people that look at them go insane and commit suicide. That's pretty spooky. Not a big fan of that, based on the premise alone. But I gotta say, the, uh, the Wikipedia page is pretty choice. They've got a good section on accolades that has a neat, dis- uh, neat uh, drop-down bar. Um, it looks like it'd be sortable if it had more than one accolade, which would be cool. Uh, the film also has a good cast section that's split into three different categ- uh, three different columns, which, good on you for putting that together. I think that we're finally embracing this new trend in cast sheets, because, spoiler alert, but it's going to show up later on this episode. Also, this movie had music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch. I'm sorry, Atticus Ross. Atticus Finch is the guy from To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm not allowed to talk about that movie here. It's not a horror movie. I'm sorry, Biley. I will stop. Anyways, in a post-apocalyptic world, Mallory Hayes advises two young, unnamed children that they'll be going downstream on a river in a rowing boat. She strictly instructs them not to remove their blindfolds, or else they'll die. That's spooky. From this point, the film alternates between two stages of Mallory's story, separated by five years, until they can join, her attempt to navigate the river and the events that led to it. Five years earlier, a pregnant Mallory is visited by her sister, Jessica. A news report is being shown on television about unexplained mass suicides in Romania that are quickly spreading across Europe. 
Mallory has a routine pregnancy checkup with Jessica accompanying her to the hospital. When leaving the hospital, Mallory sees a woman bashing her head into a glass panel, followed by others panicking as chaos quickly erupts throughout the town. That's spooky. Mallory realizes the violence that's quickly spread across Europe has already reached North America. Mallory and Jessica attempt to drive away from the violence, but Jessica witnesses the phenomenon affecting the masses and sees the entity, losing control of herself as she drives, and her car ends up overturning. An injured Mallory then witnesses Jessica walk into the path of an oncoming garbage truck, killing herself. That's spooky. I don't know what's going on here. Mallory attempts to flee on foot through the mass chaos in the streets. A woman, Lydia, invites Mallory over to a house for safety, even though her husband, Douglas, disagrees. However, right before she reaches Mallory, she goes into a trance and begins talking to her dead mother, and casually climbs into a burning car, which subsequently explodes. Okay. Mallory is rescued and brought into their house by Tom, a fleeing passerby. While recovering at their base, one of the survivors, Charlie, who seems to have somewhat comprehensive knowledge of what could be happening, theorizes that demonic entities have invaded Earth, taking the form of their victims' worst fears and driving them insane before causing them to commit suicide. That's spooky. At the insistence of Tom, they cover all the windows in the house and blindfold themselves whenever they must venture outside. Later, Greg volunteers to tie himself to a chair while monitoring the surveillance cameras to find the issue of the entity, but ends up killing himself by rocking his chair violently and slamming his head into a hearthstone after seeing it. That's spooky. As the supply of food decreases, and with the arrival of a new survivor, Olympia, who's also pregnant, most of their group go to a supermarket close by to restock. Mallory finds pet birds and decides to take them along with their supplies. That's not a very good idea, Mallory. That's... they're gonna eat the food, too. Anyways, the group attempts to help a coworker of Charlie who's locked outside the supermarket begging for help, and whom Charlie describes as a little crazy. That's no good. As they contemplate the risks of opening the door, the birds that Mallory was saving go into a hysterical fury. The group is attacked by the infected coworker, who is not killed by the entities, but instead used to infect others. Charlie sacrifices himself to save the others, who are able to make it back safely to the house. When did we start infecting things? I thought that we were just looking at scary things. I guess people are getting infected now to spread infection. That's spooky, I guess. Anyway, sometime after, Felix and Lucy steal the car and drive away. Soon thereafter, Olympia lets Gary, a stranger and apparent lone survivor of another group, into the house, against Douglas's objections. Douglas gets extremely upset and starts threatening the others with a shotgun and is knocked unconscious by Cheryl, an elderly survivor. Douglas is subsequently imprisoned in the garage. Later, Olympia and Mallory go into later, and Cheryl helps with the births. At the same time? Damn. Gary starts to take out various drawings of the entity and seems to undergo a trance, indicating that he could have already been partially overtaken by the entity when he arrived. Uh-oh. He opens the garage door to kill Douglas. He peeks outside and is completely taken over. He then knocks out Tom and proceeds to remove all the coverings from all the windows. Despite Mallory's warnings, Olympia fails to look away from the windows and jumps out the window. Has she had the baby yet? Or is this in the middle of the... 
Oh man, that's spooky. Gary forces Cheryl to look, and as a result, Cheryl repeatedly stabs herself in the neck with a pair of scissors she's carrying. That's spooky. Douglas blindly attempts to kill Gary with a shotgun, but fails, which results in Gary being able to kill Douglas with the scissors. When Mallory tries to protect the newborn babies, Mallory's boy and Olympia's girl, okay, so the baby is there. And Tom recovers consciousness in time to overpower and kill Gary. That's spooky. Five years later, Tom and Mallory are living alone with the children, whose only names are boy and girl. Okay, that's... That's spooky, I guess. You should name your kids, though. They receive a transmission from Rick, a survivor stating that they are well and safe at a community hidden in the forest. The four decide to go to the community, but are ambushed by a group of infected survivors along the way. Without hesitation, Tom runs out to distract the group, while Mallory and the children make an attempt to escape. When the, no when the group notices Mallory and the children escaping, Tom decides to open his eyes and shoot them dead. He's overtaken by one of the entities, but manages to shoot the last member of the group before shooting himself. Go work, Tom. I'm sorry for your loss. You seem like a decent guy. Anyways, Mallory, the children, and their pet birds, who are being carried in a box to provide a warning against the entity, make their way blindfolded down the river on a boat. They fight off an infected survivor and survive raging rapids. The boat flips in the rapids, but Mallory, boy, and girl manage to find each other. Soon after, all three are separated when Mallory accidentally slides down a hill. That'd be fun if you did it on purpose. The entities attempt to convince boy and girl to remind their blindfolds using Mallory's voice. Mallory is unable to tell them to fight the urge. Once they're all together again, they're chased by the entity, which is implied by camera movement and wind. That's good filmmaking. The three eventually reach the community, a former school for the blind. Mallory releases the pet box from the birds and other birds up in the ceiling. Oh, to the other birds up in the ceiling. And they finally give their children names, Tom and Olympia. Okay, well at least the kids have names now. Anyways, so that was Bird Box. Um, it's a Netflix movie. It's got a pretty good Wikipedia page. You can find it yourself if you go to en.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash bird underscore bird. I'm sorry. Bird underscore box underscore parentheses film and parentheses. Otherwise, you just get boxes of birds, I guess. But anyways, the, the Wikipedia page is pretty good. I'm not sure if this movie sounds very good, though. It seems a little too spooky for me. I'd tell you to write in and let me know what you think of these movies, but there's nowhere to reach me. Tell me what you think of these movies by going on Bachelor in Paradise and letting me know, because apparently that's the only show I get in here. It'd be a good way to communicate, and who knows, you might find love along the way. Like Tasha and John Paul Jones. Or like Demi and Christian. Anyways, the next movie we're going to talk about is going to be Bone Tomahawk. It's a spook em up um, The Wikipedia page is pretty good. It has that accolades page, but there's a lot more, so you can actually click and sort them pretty well. It's pretty cool. You can sort on each category, including references for some reason. Never mind, sorting by references doesn't work. You need to get your stuff together, Wikipedia. This is a live update for you, in real time. 
Anyways. Boom Tomahawk has a pretty good Wikipedia page, and is a 2015 American Western horror film directed, written, and co-scored by S. Craig Zaylor in his feature film directorial debut. And it stars Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, Richard Jenkins, Lily Simmons, Evan Longiet, David Arquette, and Sid Haig. It's also produced by Jack Heller and Dallas Sonier. The film had its world premiere at the Fantastic Fest on September 25th, 2015, and was given a limited release on October 23rd, 2015, by RLJ Entertainment. The film is about a small-town sheriff, Russell, who leads a posse into a desolate region to rescue two townspeople who are abducted by a cannibalistic Native American clan. That sounds kind of spooky. Let's get into the summary. In the 1980s, two drifters, Purvis and Buddy, make a living robbing and killing travelers. Spooked by the sound of approaching horses, they hide in the hills and encounter a Native American burial site. Buddy is killed by an arrow, but Purvis escapes. Purvis is a pretty spooky name. I can't imagine something more terrifying than going through life named Purvis. Anyways, eleven days later, Purvis arrives in the small town of Bright Hope and buries his loot. Chicory, de uh, backup deputy, spots him and reports to Sheriff Franklin Hunt. At the town saloon, Hunt confronts Purvis. When asked his name, Purvis gives a false name. I'd give a false name, too. He tries to escape, only to be shot in the leg by Sheriff Hunt. Hunt sends John Bruder, a local educated man and known womanizer who witnesses the shooting, to fetch the town's doctor. Meanwhile, foreman Arthur O'Dwyer rests at home with a broken leg. His wife, Samantha, is the doctor's assistant, tends to his wound. That's nice of her. As the doctor's drunk, Bruder calls Samantha and escorts her to the jail to treat Purvis's wound. Leaving Samantha with Purvis and his deputy, Nick, Hunt and the others return home. That's probably not going to go well. That night, at a stable house, a stable boy is murdered by unseen attackers. There we go. The murder is reported to Hunt, who investigates the scene and finds the horses missing. He goes to the jail and finds it empty, with an arrow left behind. Hunt informs Arthur of the news. A local Native American man called the Professor examines the arrow and links it to a troglodyte clan. What do they think a troglodyte is? A cave dweller is a human being who inhabits a cave or the area beneath the overhanging rocks on a cliff. Okay. He warns Hunt that they're a group of cannibalistic savages who inhabit the Valley of the Starving Men. Certain that Samantha, Nick, and Purvis have been captured by them, Hunt prepares to go to the clan along with Chicory and Bruder. Arthur, despite his broken leg, insists on going with them to find his wife. Sounds like we got ourselves a ragtag group of folks. I'm sure all of them are going to make it out of the movie okay. Days into their ride, two strangers stumble across their camp. Fearing that they're scouts for a raid, Bruder kills them. They set up a cold camp at another spot. However, during the night, a group of raiders ambushes them, injures Bruder's horse, and steals the rest. Bruder regretfully puts down his horse. That's why they call him Bruder. After a day of walking, a fight breaks out between Bruder and Arthur, excarborating Arthur's leg wound. Chicory sets his leg and leaves him behind to recover, while he, Hunt, and Bruder move on. At the valley, the three men are injured by a volley of arrows. I don't think that was a sentence in English. At the valley, 
The three men are injured by a volley of arrows. After killing two attackers, Hunt and Shikri retreat, leaving Bruder, who's seriously injured and demands to be left behind. Bruder kills one attacker before being killed himself. Oh no, not Bruder. The attackers capture Hunt and Shikri and imprison them in their cave. The men find Samantha and an injured Nick imprisoned in a nearby cage. They inform Hunt that the tribesmen have already eaten and killed Purvis. Poor boy. Didn't even live up to his name. They witness Nick removed from his cell, stripped, brutally scalped, and bisected alive, then consumed. That's spooky. Samantha estimates the number of hostile cannibals to be about 12, reduced to 9 earlier by Hunt's posse. It's good work by Wikipedia here doing some math to see how many people are still around. Hunt realizes he has some opium tincture he confiscated from Arthur earlier to prevent him from overusing it. They lure several tribesmen to drink it, however only one overdoses and dies while another becomes unconscious. That's good thinking. Meanwhile, Arthur wakes up, follows the men's trail, and discovers the valley. He kills two tribesmen and notices an object embedded in their windpipes. After cutting one out, he realizes it's like a whistle. He blows on it, luring another tribesman close, then kills him. That's spooky. In the cave, realizing two of their men were poisoned, the leader grows angry. He and another tribesman pull Hunt from his cell, cut open his abdomen, and shove the opium flask into the wound. That's spooky. The leader then takes Hunt's rifle and shoots him in the arm and abdomen. Arthur arrives and kills one of the tribesmen, while Hunt kills the leader with one of the tribe's bone tomahawks. Hey, that's the name of the movie. Arthur frees Samantha and Chicory, while a mortally wounded Hunt stays behind with his rifle. He prepares to kill the surviving cannibals when they return, to prevent them from terrorizing Bright Hope. That's a pretty optimistic name for a city. As the three leave the cave, they see two pregnant females who are blinded and have all their limbs amputated. That's fucked up. I'm gonna go beyond spooky. That's fucked up. Anyways, on their journey out, Arthur blows the tribesman whistle with no response they continue to exit. At a distance from the cave, they hear three gunshots, implying that Sheriff Hunt has killed the remaining males of the tribe. Chicory acknowledges the gunshots with a half-hearted smile, and tosses aside the stone he'd been carrying. Tired, Hunt, and with few supplies, the three begin the journey home. Yeah, I don't really like this one, y'all. It's, it's a little spooky. Anyways, there's no time for me to stop and reflect on the fact that I don't like this movie, because next I gotta talk about the birds. This one is a um, classic movie, and its Wikipedia page is actually pretty cool. It's got a good segmented cast list, and it also has pictures embedded in it, and it's got a poll quote in a really cool yellow box. Very good work on the Wikipedia staff's team. I like to think that this podcast has led to them increasing their standards and overall making their site better. So, I'm glad to do my part to help you all make better websites. Anyways, The Birds, which you can find on their website at en.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash the underscore birds underscore parentheses film and parentheses. Um, The Birds is a 1963 American horror horror thriller film directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock. 
is loosely based on the 1952 story of the same name by Daphne du Maurier, and focuses on a series of sudden and unexplained violent bird attacks on the people of Bodega Bay, California, over the course of a few days. That's pretty spooky. I usually like birds. There used to be robins that would fly outside of my apartment, and I like to sit and watch them through the window. They're not here anymore. I think that's the thing that I miss the most in the Red Star. It's real quiet here. Anyways, Melanie Daniels, a young socialite, meets criminal defense attorney Mitch Brenner in San Francisco Pet Shop. Mitch wants to purchase a pair of lovebirds for his sister's 11th birthday, but the shop has none. He recognized Melanie from a court appearance she attended for a practical joke that ended with a window being broken, but she doesn't know him. He was playing a prank by pretending to mistake her for a saleswoman. A lot of pranksters in this one. Melanie's infuriated by the prank, but finds herself romantically intrigued by Mitch. Okay. Melanie purchases a pair of lovebirds and drives her silver 1954 Ashton Martin DB24 Drophead Coupe to Mitch's weekend address in Bodega Bay to deliver them. That's a really weirdly specific car reference. I don't know why you care that much, Wikipedia. Wanting to surprise him, she rents a motorboat so she can approach the Brenner house from the bay instead of by the road. She sneaks the bird inside the house and heads back across the bay. Mitch discovers the birds, spots Melanie's boat during her retreat, and drives around the bay to a retreat to meet her. Meanwhile, Melanie is attacked and injured by a gull near the shore on the town side. Mitch treats her abrasion and invites her to dinner. She hesitantly agrees. Hmm. Melanie gets to know Mitch, his domineering mother Lydia, and his younger sister Kathy. He, she also befriends local school teacher Annie Hayworth, Mitch's ex-lover. That's spooky. While spending the night at Annie's home, she and Annie are startled by a loud thud. A gull kills itself by flying into the front door. That's spooky. At Kathy's birthday party the next day, the guests are attacked by gulls. The following evening, sparrows invade the Brenner home through the chimney. This is real spooky. I wouldn't want to live through this. The next morning, Lydia, a widow who still maintains the family farmstead, visits a neighboring farmer to discuss the unusual behavior of her chickens. She finds the farmer's eyeless corpse, pecked lifeless by birds, and flees in terror. That's spooky. Once home, she expresses concern for Kathy's safety at school. Melanie drives there and waits for class to end, unaware that a large flock of crows is massing in the adjacent playground. Uh-oh. Crows really know what's going on. Crows are a really smart animal. I would not want to be attacked by a big flock of them, especially if they were all very violent. She's unnerved when she sees its jungle gym engulfed by them, and she warns Annie, and they evacuate the children. The commotion stirs the crows into attacking, injuring several of the children. Melanie meets Mitch at a local restaurant, where several patrons describe aggressive encounters with birds. An ornithologist discusses the reports as fanciful, and argues that birds lack the intelligence to mount coordinated attacks on humans. I think you lack the intelligence to be a good ornithologist. I like birds. Don't badmouth their intelligence. Anyways, soon birds begin to attack people outside the restaurant, knocking a gas station attendant unconscious while he's filling the car with fuel, which spills into the street. A bystander attempts to light a cigar, igniting a pool of gasoline, which incinerates him. 
The explosion attracts a mass of gulls, which swarm menacingly as townfolk attempt to douse the fire. Melanie takes refuge in a phone booth, but gulls fly into the glass walls and shatter them. That's spooky. Rescued by Mitch, Melanie returns to the restaurant, where a distraught patron accuses her of causing the attacks, which began with her arrival. I don't think she caused it. She's not in control of birds. Mitch and Melanie visit Anne's house and find that she's been killed by crows while ushering Kathy to safely to safety inside the house. That's really sad. I like Danny. She was a good character in this Wikipedia summary. That night, Melanie and the Brenner seek refuge inside the family home, which is attacked by waves of birds that a near life which is attacked by waves of birds that nearly break, nearly breach the barricaded doors and windows. During a lull between attacks, more like a gull between attacks. <laughs> I'm sorry, that kind of editorial interjection won't happen again. I apologize. During a lull between attacks, Melanie hears the sound of fluttering wings. Realizing the sounds are emanating from above, she cautiously climbs the staircase and enters Kathy's bedroom, where she finds that the birds have broken through the roof. That's spooky. They violently attack her, trapping her in the room until Mitch rescues her. Melanie is badly injured and nearly catatonic. Mitch insists they must get her to a hospital and suggests they drive to San Francisco. There sure is a lot of Melanie doing stuff, but then Mitch rescuing her afterwards. Almost like you could give Melanie something to do instead. Maybe let her succeed once or twice. Anyway, I'm not here to tell Alfred J. Hitchcock how to do his work. He's dead. As Mitch readies Melanie's cars for their escape, a sea of birds gathers menacingly around the Brenner home. The radio reports bird attacks on nearby communities such as Santa Rosa and suggests that the military may intervene to quell the unexplained attacks. Kathy retrieves the lovebirds from the house and joins Mitch and Lydia as they carefully escort Melanie to the car past a pet to the car past a mass of birds nearby. The car slowly makes its way through a landscape in which thousands of birds are ominously perching. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. What a spooky end. I really want to know what happens next. I hope they make it to the hospital, okay? I hope I make it to a hospital, okay? I hope I make it anywhere. More than anything, I just hope I make it out of here. Anyways, thanks for listening to another episode of Wikipedia. Um, I guess I'm just going to keep doing these then. Riley says that if I don't, he's going to give me a colostomy. And I'm not really hip on medical procedures, but I don't think I want one. Um, I hope you all have a great day, and I hope you all do better at getting me out. Hi, I'm Theo, and this is LGB Time Machine, an LGBTQ history podcast. In each episode, I'll research and then discuss a topic or time period or person that's relevant to LGBTQ history, and hopefully this will encourage more people to look into our history. So far, I've done a broad overview of the persecution of LGBTQ folks in the U.S., talked about the homophile movement, the Lavender Scare, LGBTQ bars, and looked at some of the riots and events leading up to and including Stonewall. Tune in to the Orange Groves Network to learn some cool facts about LGBTQ history that you might not have known before.